And let's open our Bibles to Psalm 147. Psalm 147. We are continuing in our series on the Hallelujah Psalms, the last five Psalms, 146 through 150. Last time we looked at the first two points that are in your sermon notes there. Number one, call, and number two, creation. So we looked at the call to praise the Lord that we're given in this psalm, three times actually. And then we looked at some of the reasons we're given to obey that call, and the first of the reasons was reasons related to God's work of creation. He determines the number of the stars, he gives to all of them their names, you may remember some of these reasons in the psalm. And what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna look at the rest of the reasons in the psalm for why we should praise the Lord, reasons related to God's character and reasons related to God's covenant. That is, particularly his covenant love and grace toward his people. And we need these reasons to praise the Lord. We need to hear them. Because like I said last time, we, each one of us have a, a selfishness and, and a worldliness that is deeply rooted and firmly planted in our hearts. Our first instinct, our knee-jerk reaction to life so often is to focus on ourselves and on this world instead of on God and the world to come. In our default mode, our thoughts, naturally and very strongly pull inward and downward like the force of gravity. And so we need these calls to praise God and we need these reasons to praise God to break that force, that inward and downward pull, and to set us free to praise the Lord with our lips and with our lives. And of course, God is gracious to give us these calls to praise him and these reasons, abundant reasons to praise him and to give us also his son and his spirit to enable us and empower us to praise him. So let's pray now together and ask him to open our eyes to these reasons that we have before us in this psalm to praise him because of his character and because of his covenant love and grace toward us. And then we'll begin, let's pray. God, we pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts to how praiseworthy you truly are because of your work of creation and because of your character and because of your covenant love. Please break that inward and downward force in our hearts that we feel so often. Please uproot our deeply rooted selfishness and worldliness and fill our hearts with you, with the greatness of your character and the wonder of your covenant grace. Fill our hearts to overflowing so that we would praise you with our lips and with our lives more and more for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Psalm 147, reading the whole psalm. This is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible word of God. Praise the Lord. For it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. 
He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse nor his pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion, for he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of the wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. As I said, we're going to look at points three and four in your sermon notes this morning. Character and covenant. God's character and God's covenant love and grace toward his people. And I trust the Lord will use his word to fill our hearts with his praiseworthiness. Let's begin with verse five and what it says about God's character. Look at verse five. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. So we see God's greatness, God's power, and God's understanding emphasized in this verse. Great is our Lord, the psalmist says. Great is our Lord. Psalm 145 verse three adds, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. So God is great, but his greatness isn't just a fact that we should know about him. His greatness calls forth our praise. He is greatly to be praised for his greatness. As great as he is, is how great our praise of him should be. And how great is he? Well, it says in Psalm 145 that his greatness is unsearchable. He is an ocean of greatness. He is, in fact, infinite in greatness. He is infinitely greater than all the things we think are great in this world. But I want you to notice, not only is he great, he is also gracious. Because it says, great is our Lord. He is our Lord by virtue of his saving grace. The Lord has become our Lord by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the God who is great is also our Lord who is gracious. 
And I think among other things, this teaches us that God is both transcendent and imminent. Transcendent and imminent. What does that mean? He is transcendent, meaning he is high and lifted up and exalted far above us. And he is also imminent, meaning he is with us and near to us and in relationship with us. And when you think about it, his transcendence, his greatness, makes his imminence, his graciousness, all the more amazing. Psalm eight, verses three and four make this point. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? So when we look up at the night sky and we see all the stars and we see the moon and when we think about how big and vast it all is, how many stars there are like we thought about last time and when we think of the fact that all of that is the work of God's fingers setting it all in place, when we consider that, what is man, who are we that God would be mindful of us and would care for us and It's the greatness of God that makes the grace of God all the more amazing. The greater his greatness, the more amazing his grace. That the great king of the universe would be our merciful savior. That the infinite creator would become our gracious redeemer. That God would become man to save man and reconcile him to God, that is Grace that is truly amazing, really and truly. Great is our Lord. God is great and God is gracious and his greatness magnifies his graciousness. And he is worthy of our praise for both. And just like we wouldn't stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon and see it all stretching out before us in all its grandeur and say, meh. Just so, let's not stand before our great God and his glorious grace and say, meh. Let's say, wow, wow, how amazing is his grace. Let's praise him for his greatness and his grace. The second aspect of God's character that we see in verse five, you can see there, is that he is abundant in power. We, of course, are limited in power, but God is abundant in power. In fact, he is unlimited in power. He is all-powerful, almighty, omnipotent. He is able. The prophet Jeremiah prayed in Jeremiah 32, 17, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Lots of things are too hard for us, but nothing is too hard for God. Can God do all things, asks the kids' catechism, and kids, you know the answer if you've studied it. Yes, God can do all his holy will. And that is because of what this verse says, because he is abundant in power. And he never runs out of power like we do. 
We're sort of like our phones that run out of power every day and need to be charged. But God is like the sun that shines continually with its own energy. And because of the gospel, because of our union with Jesus Christ by faith, God's abundant power can power us. We can plug into him. That's good news, isn't it? Because we know our weakness. We know especially our spiritual and moral weakness as sinners. We are not always strong. We are not always strong in the face of temptation, are we? We are not always strong in the face of pressure to conform to this world. We are not always strong in the face of difficult circumstances or broken relationships or suffering in our bodies or sorrow in our souls. We are often weak and we need strength from outside of us. And strength is available to us from the Almighty. We can be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, Ephesians 6.20 says. We can be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being, Ephesians 3.16 says. We can be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, Colossians 1.11. We can do all things through him who strengthens us. Philippians 4.13. So though we are abundant in weakness, he is abundant in power. And his power is made perfect in our weakness. When we are weak, then he is strong. He is worthy of our praise for his power and his power can power us in our weakness. So don't, when you feel your weakness, don't give in to it. Don't give up because of it. Pray to God. Plug in to the Almighty and ask him to empower you with his abundant power. The third aspect of God's character that we see in verse five at the end is that his understanding is beyond measure our understanding can be measured, of course. We can, we can just take a test. Uh, we can take the SAT exam or the CLT exam. We can take an IQ test or the MCATs or the LSATs. Our understanding can be measured in many ways, but God's understanding is beyond measure. It's immeasurable. It's incalculable. It's infinite. Isaiah 40, 28 says, have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Think of what Paul says at the end of Romans 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. God is omniscient, as we say. He is all-knowing. He knows everything there is to know. 
Kids, think for a minute about the library, the library that perhaps you go to. Picture all the books in that library, all those shelves just full of books. Can you imagine knowing what's in all those books? Wouldn't that be amazing? Can you imagine having every word in those books memorized? Knowing every word on every page of every book in the whole library, that would be amazing. Well, God knows every word on every page of every book in every library in the whole world. He knows everything, every subject, every category, every genre, every time period. He knows everything that's happened and everything that's going to happen. He knows every word that is spoken by every single person every single day all around the world. He actually knows every thought that is thought by every single person every single day all around the world. He knows what you and I are thinking right this very moment. He knows everything there is to know about us He knows everything there is to know about everything. David said in the opening verses of Psalm 139, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. And we say what David says here, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. God's understanding is beyond measure. It's beyond our measure. Isaiah 55, eight and nine says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And when we reach the end of our understanding, when we come to the point where our understanding stops, but we realize that God's understanding actually keeps going, our response should not be frustration or disillusionment or despair. Our response should be worship. Our response should be humble and joyful praise. God's understanding is beyond measure and it's wonderful that that is the case. And it should call forth praise from our hearts and our lips and our lives. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. How does knowing those aspects of God's character help us to praise him? How does it break that pull of selfishness and worldliness in our hearts? Well, God is greater than anything this world has to offer you and me. He is greater than the greatest Christmas present you could hope to get this year. And his grace, as we sing, is greater than all our sin. 
No matter how bad the sin is, no matter how powerful it seems, his grace is greater. And to know him as our Lord, to be in covenant relationship with him is the best relationship we could ever have. The most satisfying relationship we could ever have. And to have access to his power by faith and to be able to draw on his power to live the Christian life, that is a tremendous privilege and encouragement when we are weak, especially when things are are hard. And to rely on his understanding as revealed in his word, that gives us confidence. And to rely on the wisdom of his understanding when it's beyond ours, well that gives us peace and inward rest and a calm and quiet spirit, knowing that we can trust him even when we can't understand him. I think all of that and more helps break that force of gravity inward and downward and sets us free to look upward and outward and to praise God with our lives. So let me encourage you to to let these aspects of God's character fill your heart to overflowing this morning. Great is our Lord and abundant in power and his understanding is beyond measure. But of course it's not just who God is that is praiseworthy, it's also what God does that is praiseworthy. His character gives us reason to praise him but so does his covenant love and grace toward us. And let's consider now the reasons we have to praise God related to his covenant. And there are reasons in each of the three main sections of the psalm. In the first section, let's look at verses two and three, and then verse six in the first section here. Look at verse two. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. Jerusalem is the city of God which stands here for the people of God. The Lord builds up his people. He builds up his church. Remember what Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now certainly you and I have a role to play in building up the church, but we can rest in the fact that Christ is the one who promises to build his church. Psalm 127.1 says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. But because the Lord builds the house, like Jesus promised, because he builds up Jerusalem, our labor is not in vain. As Paul said at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. So we can abound in the work of building up the church, knowing that the Lord promises to build up the church. We're sort of like children helping their father set up a tent in the campground. If it was just us, if it was just the children setting up the tent, it it might be in vain. But because our Father is the main one setting it up, 
we can know that our work is not going to be in vain. And it says, not only he builds up Jerusalem, but he gathers the outcasts of Israel. It's probably a reference to the exile. But more broadly, he gathers the elect from the four winds. He gathers and perfects the saints by his covenant love and faithfulness. All of us were outcasts because of our sin. Like Adam and Eve were outcasts from the garden. But Christ, what did Christ do? Christ became an outcast in our place on the cross. And he did that so that this could happen, so that we could be gathered in. In Christ, we are no longer outcasts, but are adopted children of our heavenly Father. And he gathers us. He gathers us into his loving presence. And what does he do when he gathers us? Verse three says that he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Isn't that a great verse? What a wonderful verse to to memorize, call to mind in time of need. He heals the brokenhearted. He mends our broken hearts. He binds up our wounds. He tends to our wounds so they can heal. Psalm 34 verse 18 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. God says in Ezekiel 34, 15 and 16, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. You know, I think it is noteworthy that this comes right before verses four and five. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. God is big in those verses. But in verse three, he is near to us. He made the stars, but he also made you. He named them all, but he also named you. How personal, how close, how tender is his care. God is giant, but God is also gentle. He is abundant in power, and yet he doesn't crush us with his power. He uses his power to heal us and to bind up our wounds. He comforts us. He ministers to us. He strengthens us so we can keep going. So when you're brokenhearted, when you're wounded, turn to the comforter, turn to the healer, turn to the great physician. You don't have to hide your broken heart. You don't have to hide your wounds. You can bring them to the Lord. Why? 
because he heals our broken hearts and binds up our wounds. Then down in verse six, still in this first section here, verse six we read, the Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. So he doesn't lift up those who are great in the world. He doesn't lift up those who are of the world. He lifts up the humble. He lifts up those who are bowed down, Psalm 146 verse eight said. Though the wicked sometimes do prosper in this life and seem to be on top, the Lord will cast them to the ground in judgment unless they repent and believe in him. And the humble, that is those who've been humbled by their sin in comparison to the holiness of God and the beauty of God, God will lift them up at the proper time in vindication and glorification. That's the first section. In the second section of the psalm, the reasons to praise God related to his covenant are given in verses 10 and 11. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. So strong horses, fast legs, were both useful in battle, but God's delight and pleasure is not in those who are strong in battle, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. The thought here is very similar to Psalm 146, verses three through five that we looked at recently. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. It's a profound thought that the Lord would take pleasure in us, especially because of our sin and its utter ugliness. But he takes pleasure in us because he takes pleasure in his son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, the father said. And we are united to his son by faith. And we are clothed in the perfect righteousness of his son. And so he delights in us and takes pleasure in us as he delights and takes pleasure in his son because we are his adopted sons and daughters. Zephaniah 3, 16 and 17 is a well-known text about this. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. 
The Lord takes pleasure in us. And notice how we are described in verse 11. As those who fear him and hope in his steadfast love. You might be wondering, what about those times when I fear man and put my hope in man? Does God take pleasure in me then? Well, God doesn't take pleasure in our sin, but he does take pleasure in us because we are his children. Just like with our own children, we don't take pleasure in their sin. We are, of course, grieved by their sin, but we do take pleasure in them because they are our children. Their sin can displease us, but it can't take away our love for them or their status as our child. It's much the same with our heavenly father. We can displease him, but we are still his beloved children. He will never revoke our adoption or cast us out of his home. As his beloved children, he delights in us and takes pleasure in us. And he loves us with his steadfast love. That should give us all the security and satisfaction we would ever need in this life. If the person whose affection and approval is most important to you is pleased with you, then it doesn't really matter what everyone else thinks, does it? We have the affection and approval and pleasure of God. What more could we need? Let's look at the reasons we have to praise God in the third and final section of the psalm. We find reasons related to his covenant in verse 13 and 14 and then 19 and 20. Look at verse 13. For he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of the wheat. The Lord blesses his covenant people with safety and security, with familial joy and relational peace and plentiful provision, all of which, as commentator Derek Kidner wrote, are his to give, not ours to achieve. Finally, down in verses 19 and 20, we read, he declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. In the previous verses, his word gives snow and scatters frost and hurls down crystals of ice and then melts it all in springtime. But now his word comes to us as the people of God. It comes to our hearts and it is no less powerful. The word that creates snow and frost and hail and ice and then melts them all is the same word that melts our hearts and warms our icy hearts when they've grown cold. 
And of course, not only has he declared his word to us, he has sent his word to us in the incarnation. When the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, Jesus Christ, who is full of grace and truth. For all these things, for all these reasons and many more, God is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our praise for his character and for his covenant love and grace toward us. So many reasons were given in this psalm to praise him. Because it is good, because it is pleasant, because it is fitting to praise him, because of all the reasons related to his creation, because of all the reasons related to his character, because of all the reasons related to his covenant love and grace, the psalm is full of reasons. And our hearts are now full of reasons. They're full to overflowing. So what do we do with all this? Well, we do actually what the very end of the psalm tells us to do. With all we have and all we are, we praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray again that you would help us to praise you because of your work of creation, because of your character, because of your covenant. And we pray that all these reasons you've given us to praise you would free us from that downward force of our natural selfishness and worldliness. And by your Son and your Spirit, please empower us to praise you with all we have and all we are because you are worthy of praise. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a minute now to meditate on the word that's been preached and then we will respond to it by singing together.